0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to Transported: real industry news, real industry innovation. I'm your host, Nisha Patel, and we're here to talk about all things entrepreneurship, supply chain, logistics, and technology. Today, we'll be focusing on the renewable energy world. We'll look at some trends this year, both in the U.S. and globally. Joining me in the studio are Logisticist co-founders Vikash Patel and Will Steven, and we are joined by special guest Aaron Barr with Wood Mackenzie. Thank you guys for joining me. How's everyone doing today?
1: Good. Doing great.
0: We're going to start how we always start. So, Aaron, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and what your role is at Wood Mackenzie?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So, my name is Aaron Barr. I am uh, I work with Wood McKenzie, who's the uh, leading global provider of uh, energy market intelligence. So, Wood Mac is actually headquartered in Edinburgh, Scotland. We have offices all over the world, uh, U.S. offices in Houston, Boston, New York, San Francisco, Louisville, but I actually work remotely here with the logistic- Logisticus guys in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, so my job at WoodMac is I'm the global head of our wind energy research. So all of our market forecasts for all of our global uh, wind energy market outlooks, uh, I'm, I have to put the rubber stamp on those and, and provide our view on how policy, technology, and all those things are gonna come together to inform the future of wind energy uh, in our industry.
0: Awesome. So, what things did you see happening in the renewable world in 2021?
1: Well, 2021 was a pretty big year. Not the biggest year globally. 2020 was our, our record year in the U.S. as well as globally, but it was a, it was a pretty big year uh, for wind. Um, you know, interestingly enough, in 2021 we had a record year for new wind turbine orders. So, even though there wasn't a biggest year for installations, we saw over 100 gigawatts of of orders for new wind turbine equipment globally. Um, a lot of that was focused in China. So about 55 gigawatts of that was focused wow. in China. Yeah. Yeah. China is uh, really, you know, just continues to keep growing. There's really no looking back uh, in terms of the scale of that renewable energy build out. What, per,
2: what percentage would you say of their portfolio is now renewable in, in China? Ch- in China, it's growing pretty fast.
1: Um you know, it's interesting with China. They they have by far the largest installed base of wind energy, the largest installed base of solar, the largest installed base of electric cars. But they also have the largest installed base of coal and nuclear power. So, uh, you know, they it's it's just uh, there's this unrelenting demand for new energy consumption in in China. A lot of it's spurred by the supply chain that's building out there and just continues to build out. Um, so they they just do an all-of-the-above strategy when
2: it comes to power generation. Gotcha. And what percentage do you think of the U.S. or do you know of the U.S. is now between solar and wind? So
1: total renewables across the U.S., I think a lot of people are surprised by this. When you include hydro, we're over 30% renewables. Now, there's a lot of hydro that's been installed for a long time. We're up to about, I think, 7.5% wind, which is pretty good. and getting approaching to 4% solar. Um, but, you know, solar growth trajectory, at least according to our forecast, looks even bigger than the wind forecast over the next 10 years. So 2021 was the first year where solar installed more than wind uh, in the U.S. in terms of megawatts.
3: And on, on hydro, like you said, that's one that I don't think people talk about. Typically, when they're talk about not the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, is hydro still, is there still investment in hydro these days?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of investment, but not a lot of new opportunities to build new hydro plants. So, um, you know, actually, we just drove this weekend. We drove past the Bad Creek Reservoir here in in South Carolina. Uh, that that is uh, right up near the North Carolina line. It's it's you know one of the largest pumped energy storage facilities in the southeast, and uh, you know Duke Energy runs that facility and looking at potentially expanding it here. So. Uh, there's still investment, but it's really, really hard to build a new hydro plant. it It's really difficult to to create these massive lakes these days. Yeah mm.
3: yeah, and on that um, you know, the first point that you mentioned on the twenty twenty one gigawatts purchased, what's typically the the lead time? So if you bought it in twenty twenty one, are most of those getting installed over a three year period, or is it farther out than that?
1: It depends on the market, but you're you're typically talking about a year, you know kind of rule of thumb lead time between order and fulfillment. Um, but, you know, in some markets like the U.S. where you've got this, you know, safe harbor dynamic driven by the production tax credit, you could have, you know, a, you have four years to basically deliver the equipment after that initial order. So, right. you know, offshore is an even longer lead cycle, right? Um, we saw the first commercial orders for offshore wind turbines in the U.S. last year. Uh, but that equipment probably won't be installed until 2024, 2025. Okay.
0: Why solar for, you know, 2021? You so that was a big well, thing.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of it is about the resource. You know, there's just a lot more solar resource available. Um, it's more widespread. A lot of it's really close to population centers, especially here in the southeast U.S., you know, you're not going to see a lot of wind energy installed, but we are seeing a lot of solar power installed in the southeast. And a lot of people move into the southeast as well. So um, that's a big part of it. Uh, falling costs are another huge component. You know, solar cost out just continues to drive down, down, down. And, and um, you know, it's, it's also really well aligned, you know, to the uh, demand out there in the market. Sun's shining during the hottest part of the day right when people have their air conditioners running.
3: Yeah, we've been talking about um, tax credits a lot. Is do you, do you think solar is less dependent maybe than wind on the tax credits? Is there less of a correlation?
1: Well, the solar uses a different type of tax credit in right. the U.S. So it uses the investment tax credit instead of the production tax credit. Uh, it's still a huge driver of the market, um, but the solar ITC also has a longer kind of, as it stands today in the current. Phase of the legislation has a longer runway with that um, with that incentive than the production tax credit does. So there's a little more certainty in the solar market than there is for the onshore wind market um, as the policy is written today. But everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens next when it comes to policy.
0: Right. Now, what are what are some things you see on the horizon for 2022? And let's start with the U.S. market.
1: Yeah, you know, I think one thing we're going to see in the U.S. when it comes to to the wind energy market, um, we're going to see a lot more big turbines being installed. Um, we're seeing a lot of the turbine manufacturers migrating to these uh, next generation four, five, six megawatt turbines, a lot of interest in those, that new type of equipment from major developers. You know, that has a huge impact on Logisticus and all of your peers in the logistics industry. Uh you may be moving less turbines, but every one of those moves is more complex, longer blades, heavier towers, bigger nacelles. Um, you know, all of that has, has a has a big impact. So I think we're going to see more and more of that in the twenty in twenty twenty two. You know, I think we're going to see some movement. Hopefully, on policy, everyone's just waiting to see what happens. The Build Back Better plan didn't work out. Um, it did, wasn't able to get through the Senate. But every, every indication we've heard is that the clean energy portions of that bill actually have pretty good bipartisan support. So we're, everyone's anticipating that some smaller piece of that legislation will get, get put forward that would really address uh, the climate goals of the Biden administration. But as you guys know, there's a lot of other things happening in the world right now that, that take attention away from that kind of domestic legislation
2: and with that said you know i think we've all been watching ukraine and and russia's invasion of and and kind of looking you know all with all of our focus into that part of the world now you know historically you know when we've seen world <coughs> world and global you know um situations like this come up now what's that generally do to legislation in in dc does it come to a full halt does it Does it kind of trickle along or, you know, does this focus just need to be redirected? I mean, that's going to be the hottest fire that'll get all the
1: attention for the next couple months, you know, and, and there'll probably be a bunch of legislation rushed through to, to address the Ukraine and Russia situation. But a lot of other key priorities of this administration are going to take a bit of a back burner, uh, I think is what we're going to see now I think, uh, you know, it's interesting with Ukraine specifically, you know, they just, they, they were getting ready to have a massive year for wind energy installs. The biggest year they've ever had, we're expecting uh, over the next near term. So, you know, you think about just that part of the market and that'll probably go on hold for maybe permanently uh, or at least for a couple of years is the way we're looking at it. Um, so there's all kinds of trickle down effects from from this you know from this war um they're going to have local supply chain is, issues that are going to get disrupted but it's going to have a rippling effect on commodities globally which is going to put pressure on equipment prices um and it can really put a big delay on policy and and the way things move forward
2: and from a manufacturing standpoint you know to your knowledge is there any major manufacturers that play in the wind or the solar world there in Ukraine?
1: Nobody with any major supply chain presence in, in the Ukraine or Russia, but there are major operations in Eastern Europe, So major supply chain built up in Turkey, in Serbia. um, And just the way that, you know, the whole global supply chain is so globalized. Now it's hard to really isolate any one part of the market. And, you know, it's going to have ripple effects on, on costs, on lead times. Um, you know, it, it, the war is going to have much more widespread effects than I, I think anyone realizes right now. Okay.
0: So what, what things do you see? Um, I guess what trends should be on the lookout um, in 2022, not just in the U.S. market, but globally?
1: Well, I think, you know, one thing we saw in, in 2021 – You guys may have been following the financial statements from a lot of the OEMs. OEMs is original equipment manufacturers, so companies like GE, Vestas, Siemens, Gamesa. Nobody was turning a profit last year. So I think one of the big trends we're going to see when it comes to wind turbine equipment is we're going to see some prices increase. And those signals have already been sent out to the market. So, you know, what does that mean long term? Does that Is that going to delay this kind of LCOE reduction that everyone's been expecting and anticipating that'll happen forever? But in this inflationary environment that we're in, what's happening to steel prices and copper prices and freight costs that just can't go on forever Um, and expect that the OEMs can work towards near zero margins and this be a sustainable industry. So I think we'll see equipment prices come up. Uh, I think, you know, what impact that has on future build uh, is is, is going to be some downside potential to it.
0: And, Vikash and Will, what do you guys are, um, or I guess, what are you guys paying close attention to when it comes to the renewable
2: world? You know, I'm you know just looking and trying to see some key indicators. You know, I take a look at container pricing fairly often. And, and in the last two years, we've seen almost a 5X on container pricing from 5000 bucks to get— Something from Asia over to the u s is now now upwards of twenty five thousand. And I got to imagine that you know although these wind turbines are extremely large, they're made up of a lot of little pieces. and those those supply chains, you know no one could have factored in or even contractually wrote into the language that hey, five x would be absorbed by the OEMs on the transportation cost. And so I think as we start moving forward, like like Aaron said, we're going to have to address you know the the elephant in the room, and you know there's a significant amount of increase in cost from raw products as well as transportation. Who absorbs this, and we saw you know to what your point, Aaron, that they ran zero percent margins and had everything probably held constant, that wouldn't have been the case right from twenty nineteen
1: yeah i think I think a lot of one of those orders were placed. The cost position they had in mind didn't work out for them, and there were a lot of a lot of manufacturers all up and down the supply chain who got shocked by uh, the material price increases that we've seen, got got shocked by scheduled delays and logistics costs, and you know all, all that hits the bottom line and really turned a lot of these manufacturers, not just the OEMs, but their suppliers as well, uh, put them in a very very tight situation financially.
2: Yeah. And with everyone waiting for some kind of direction from DC on on energy, you know, tax credits, et cetera. You know, there's there's only so long, I guess, these these companies can tread water, right? Before having to downsize plants or having to let off some stuff, let go of some stuff? We we've seen a lot of that already in the US as
1: well as globally. So, you know, major blade manufacturing facilities have already closed in the US, you know. Um, we just saw a couple announcements last week of major factories being closed in Germany. So, you know, I think we're starting to see the the impact of this. And, you know, a lot of it has to do also with this global supply chain that, that's ramped up. I mean, I, I mentioned that, you know, the Western turbine manufacturers have made indications they're going to raise price. But the scale that we've seen get established in China has just led to, further and further cost out it's really alarming you see kind of two different trends happening where the western the western world is you know having to keep price stable or increase while the chinese oems just keep a race to the bottom but they've built up such a strong supply base there with such massive economies of scale that they can afford to do that and some of them are even turning a profit at the same time wow well,
0: you know, one thing that I um, usually kick off our podcast with is kind of a story on how you guys all met, how you guys all started working together. That was one thing that I forgot about. So I'd love to talk about it now.
1: Yeah. Well, we all started working together back at GE. I don't know. What was that? 10, 12 years ago? At least. Yeah, Something that, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So back back before the last big wind bubble, I was working with Vikash and all the other logistics team at, at GE to try to... Understand our cost position on shipping equipment, and um, and then that then 2012 happened. That was the big big year, the last big year before 2020 for the U.S. market, and you guys were responsible for moving all that volume.
2: Yeah, we we were we were in a very uh, we were in an awesome place there. G being able to move the biggest transportation of wind that up to that date G had had, and then we left shortly thereafter to start logistics. So. Been a while,
1: yeah. It has, yeah. I left GE in 2013, yeah, to join Make Consulting at the time, which was then acquired by Woodmax. So it's uh, nice we've been able to keep in touch and actually are able to still share office space. You guys are so so uh, kind to let me keep a desk in your guys' office here Uh, in Greenville because you keep it
3: down, yeah, that's right, that's right.
0: All right. Well, I would like to thank all of you for joining us today. I would especially like to thank Aaron for taking the time to talk about this important topic. Uh, We look forward to having you back on as a guest uh, to keep us all apprised of the renewable energy trends out there. So don't forget to subscribe to Transported on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow Logisticus Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.